Welcome to Inspire and Innovate, a podcast for educators. We are educators and instructional coaches at St. Andrew's Episcopal School in beautiful Jackson, Mississippi. Our Inspire and Innovate movement seeks to make visible the expertise of teachers while also upping our game in conversation with other thought leaders. I'm Shay Egger and I work with early childhood and elementary school faculty to support the use of different teaching strategies and tools to foster real world learning experiences for students. I'm Toby and I teach fifth grade math I'm Julie Rust, and I work with middle and upper school faculty to explore the many ways we can cultivate learning experiences with youth to invite them into engagement with content, skills, and community. Y'all, teaching is hard, and it's never been harder than the past 11 months or so. That's why our first series is dedicated to investigating teaching in the time of COVID. John Spencer is a former middle school teacher and current full-time professor of education who is passionate about seeing teachers empower their students with voice and choice. He has spent his career advocating for students to be future ready through design thinking and creativity. He is a frequent keynote and conference speaker who has worked with organizations all over the world, including Hong Kong, Australia, and the Netherlands. He's spoken at the White House Future Ready Summit and delivered a TEDx talk on the topic of creative constraints. His research and experience includes writing a chapter in the Nature of Technology textbook and winning the NAU Education Technology Graduate Award for his work around transforming professional development. He is an avid writer whose work has been featured in Cap'n Magazine, The Answer Sheet, Slate, and Edutopia. He is also the author of best-selling books, Launch, Empower, and Vintage Innovation. During our conversation with John, we explore the topics of making space for failure in both teaching and learning, incorporating student choice, and cultivating a project-based, inquiry-driven ecosystem in classrooms. Without further ado, John Spencer. All right, we are with the fabulous John Spencer, and uh, we just have some questions we came up with, and I I have to tell you, John, we had fun coming up with these questions um, because we enjoy your work so much. So we're just going to kind of take turns and have an informal dialogue. It sounds great. Awesome. So my big question that I'm always curious about, especially people who started off in the teaching and then have moved up or moved on or just found themselves in different places is basically like how did you cut your teeth? What were your first teaching jobs? And why has that driven you to be so passionate about, uh, you know, sharing these materials that you do? We were talking about that earlier, how you've made a lot of your work really accessible and how much we appreciate that. Yeah, so I started out, um, you know, I I originally came from the nonprofit world. Um, When I was in in college, I worked for um, an inner city faith-based nonprofit helping with their uh, tutoring and mentoring program. It was really holistic, um, pretty focused on justice issues. And so I kind of came to education that route, thinking I would stay in the nonprofit world. And then um, I did my student teaching and realized, you know, I was a history major as it it was. So kind of minoring in in education was like sort of expected. And, but I really didn't think I would become a teacher. Um, And then I did. I loved you know, the moment I started student teaching, I was like, this is really fun. And a lot of people don't love middle school, but I did. I just was like, this was a blast. And so I taught social studies at a low-income school in Phoenix, Arizona for five years. And then I taught self-contained, so all subjects for another three, you know, four years after that. And um, for one of those years, I was also an instructional coach. 
Um, so it was kind of part-time teaching, part-time instructional coach. And then for the last three years in the classroom, I taught journalism and STEM uh, inside of a makerspace. <laughs> it was really fun to kind of teach two really different, uh, but I loved it. And all of this to me just reminds me of the notion that, um, you know, we put things into silos and we mm. separate out content and discipline and curriculum, but the reality is it's all interconnected, right? And so that, that was my big takeaway from that experience. Um, and then, yeah, I was ready to try something different. I'd been doing a lot of um, professional development. And so I thought, I really think I want to work with pre-service teachers. And uh, I'd had a lot of student teachers at that point. And yeah, so I moved into the world of higher education about five, almost six years ago. Awesome. Cool. You are in good company with middle school love, uh, two-thirds of us. And Shay, I bet you also have some love. I have some experience in middle school, mostly at lower school, but I love that age group, for sure. Never a dull moment. No, sure. never. And I have to say there's a lot of similarities between working with pre-service teachers and middle school students um, that, I, that I found when I went from both contexts. So we can talk about that later. But. Yeah, no, no, I do think it is like, you know, the deep, like, in the end, you know, there's a deeply human drive to to learn and to create and to make and all of that. And whether it's kindergartners or graduate students, you know, and then and then it's the same common fears we all experience yeah. and struggles. And um, that's that's the thing that I find um, so fun is just how common all of that is to the I guess the human experience. Mm, yeah. Well, one of the things, John, um, that I've particularly enjoyed over the last year or so or some of the webinars you've released recently I was um I was listening recently and you talked about something that really piqued my interest I want to ask you a little bit more about it it's this idea um of failing forward and mm -hmm. how you discuss failing forward versus failure um and you talk about this time in in teaching during COVID as sort of uh, living within an experiment and trying new things Tell us a little bit more about this idea of failing forward and how you have found that that mind shift really empowers teachers to perhaps try new things or grow in their um, in their teaching practices. Yeah, you know, I think it's really important that we recognize that, like, you know, failing forward isn't easy, right? I mean, you're going to feel those emotions of frustration you're going to struggle with it. Um, you know, I, I ask teachers to kind of have a, a metaphor of what it's like to teach during the pandemic. And a lot of them will describe things that are hard. You know, they describe, um, it feels like I'm, you know, just treading water. Or it feels like I'm a step behind. It feels like it's a marathon and I should be on mile 17 and I'm on mile 14 or, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, and I think it's important that we recognize that it is an experiment, that there is permission to make mistakes, and that um, in the end, we will emerge from it more innovative than we would anyway. You know, I, I kind of think of it like the hero's journey. We're in a struggle. It is hard. We don't want to deny that it's hard, but we will come back with an elixir. And when we return home, we won't be the same people, right? Normal won't be the same. And... Um, I mean, I'm such a like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I've seen else. that come there's, through in your work. Yeah. There's, a, there's, there's that, you know, element that I like to think of. But I do think it's, you know, it's that giving yourself the permission to try things and for them to not work. And, 
you know, at the same time, giving yourself permission to feel the frustration, but then to recognize and, and pull back and say, how is this making me different in my practice? And ultimately, what is the goal? Are students still getting the content? More importantly, are they developing those soft skills? And if the answer is yes, which it is, then I think we have to say, you know, the journey was imperfect and it was rocky and it was hard, but um, we're going to emerge from this better in our craft. Absolutely. You know, one thing I think a lot about when I think about, like, it's pretty popular nowadays, right, to say, like, failure, the thing we say at I2 is failure is an option, right? It's sort of, like, (laughs) in some ways become almost a cliche or a catchphrase. And one thing that I think that's important to mention in these conversations is that failure is not equally safe for every human being, right, in terms of equity Mm -hmm. and in terms of positioning, both for students and for teachers. And I think that's important to recognize in a conversation like this, uh, that Mm -hmm. oftentimes folks with privilege are like, yeah, failure is great because it's fine for us uh, with privilege, right? And so I think naming that's really important. And the other thing I want to quickly say and see if you have any thoughts about is I think a lot about whether or not we're willing to fail is the culture and the systems that are set up in place to support that or not support that. So for example, we like to tell our students, guys, it's fine to fail. It's fine. Toby had a really hard bath problem on the board and his fifth grade students were really struggling with it, right? So if Toby had a system in place where if they miss that problem, they get a zero for the day, and there's no way, and this is not Toby's system, by the way, and there's no way to make up those points, well, we're clearly not setting up a a supportive system for failure for students, and they're not going to grow in that way. Uh, The same is, I think, the case uh, for for teachers, right? And and so something that Shay and I think a whole lot about in our position is, is not just can we say cute phrases like, you know, failure is an option, but more how can we create cold, you know, Doug Lamoff talks about culture of error, having a culture where error is very welcomed and you learn from it. Um, but how, how can we promote that? How can we create schools and spaces? It's both a personal disposition, but it's also a systemic issue. So anyway, any thoughts on oh, any of that? I'm completely with you there. It, you know, and, and in many ways, it's the same conversation as, um, you know, I like to reframe often the conversation about self-care has to be teacher care, right? Because if you make it, oh, oh, self-care, but then you're expected to you know, answer a phone call at 10 o'clock at night, then self-care is not an option, right? Like that's just, we have to recognize that. Um, and so I think that there has to be, you know, a culture that supports experimentation and permissions um, to make mistakes, to grow, to fail forward. And then on top of that, there has to be specific systems that support it, right? So, you know, you give the, the student example. Um, I, I in, in the school district where I worked, um, you know, we were under school improvement. It was high stakes, high pressure. We, we did spent nine weeks a year taking standardized tests. It was, it was very, so the system and culture didn't support it. I can tell you I was much more willing to take risks and and uh, make mistakes and things in my elective classes when I taught STEM and journalism than I was in my, when I taught self-contained teaching math and, and reading and writing. I still did, but in that case, it was really because I had the support of my principal who said, look, I, I want you to try what you've been doing in social studies that's working. Try project-based, inquiry-based, these things. Just try it for a semester. I've seen you teach well, 
and I'm going to be supportive. And if the scores are low, you won't be shamed. I won't embarrass you. And oh my gosh, that permission from him was huge. Um, and that was the cultural side. So even if the systems didn't completely, you know, allow for it, at least the culture did. But the sweet spot is when that when the systems do and the culture, it makes all the difference. And I think about, um, you know, I, I co-taught with this guy, Javier, uh, and he and I became best friends. And Javi had two different areas in terms of really promoting the idea of a growth mindset, um, grit. Uh, I would always you know, that's where I kind of got that, the whole idea of you've got to provide slack to, you know, to develop grit. And he just gave students the permission to make mistakes. And from my side, you know, when we co-planned together, I really focused on the system side, which was, you know, I kind of pushed his thinking on allowing for retakes and allowing for mastery and, and not punishing for late work and certain things like that. So I had already shifted my systems toward this idea of mistakes are okay, but he really came at it from the culture side. And I adopted a lot of practices from him, like the daily epic fail, you know, where they would, he would call on you randomly and you had to say, at the end of the day, my epic fail was blank. Um, what I learned was blank. Tomorrow I'm going to try blank. And it was, you know, and what I loved about it was you talk about systemic areas and understanding the role of justice and privilege. It was powerful for him to model that for students where many of the students were ELL students. Many of them knew that the stakes were high. And he comes from it as a former ELL student. Um, and it was just powerful for him to model that for them and to recognize that and even have conversations about, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Um, and, and, but then to also address those equity issues, um, especially as, you know, a, a Latino male, that was just powerful. Um, and I watched him, you know, and, and I, would, I would adopt these things into my classroom culture um, to try to create a culture where that was happening. Beautiful. Sorry, I give a long answer. <laughs> like I'm a no, storyteller, and that's my downside. Good stuff. I'm, good I'm st stealing epic fail of the day for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that I need to start doing. I mean, I feel like you just described a lot of Toby's classroom practices that I've seen, which is pretty cool. All the retakes and mm -hmm. and making choices about how you show what you know, and um, wonderful. Do you find Toby? I mean, you in, in terms of teaching math, you probably have you have to battle a little bit the math anxiety kids are going to have coming in and some of that. And so I'm curious how the risk taking mm. and that culture plays into math anxiety. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think I make them mad a lot because I, I write questions and then they say, is this right? I was like, I don't know. I haven't done it. <laughs> you know, like that's my number one answer is like, I haven't done the problem yet. What do you think? Does it look reasonable to you? And just, instead of focusing them on like the final outcome is trying to get them to pay attention to their process and like develop their own internal thermometer of like, yeah, do I think I got this right? Instead of I need to check in with a position of authority in order to understand mm -hmm. whether I've done this right or not. And we do a lot of things that is all designed to build up that, that habit of thought. So we do a lot of self checks. So I'm going to write mm -hmm. 10 problems on the board, you know, let's take 10 minutes to do it. And then, you know, well, if you got five out of 10 right, what does that tell you your next steps are? 
You got seven mm-hmm. out of 10, right? What does that tell you the next steps are? And your seven out of 10 might be different from someone else's seven out of 10. You both right. might take completely opposite tacks of what you do. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it shouldn't be asking me what you should do. Um, you're you're the boss of your own brain. <laughs> yeah. So, Love so that. It's pretty good stuff. Love that. Well, John, you mentioned uh, teacher wellness and immediately made me think of... <laughs> versus self-care and you made me think of the meme I saw yesterday on some social media where it was like you know someone with a megaphone saying teachers make sure to take care of yourself and then like a picture of a teacher drowning in an ocean with like papers <laughs> everywhere right like I think I think we're all here in our current this this series actually of this podcast is all about teaching right now in this insane mm-hmm. slash in some ways hopeful slash in some ways confusing tumultuous moment, right? And mm-hmm. we could look at it from the pandemic, but also we could look at it politically and polarization. I mean, we could look at it in lots of ways. Why is this a challenging moment to teach? Um, and so one thing we, we've seen quite a bit is in your most recent writing that you have been super sensitive, I think, to that. And, you know, in the way that a, a good teacher who is taught is, um, and others might be less so. And I just, I, we wondered if, if you had some more stories. We already, we love that you spoke, you speak in stories and um, you just <laughs> did a minute ago without us asking you too and really we're just curious I mean how have you seen how have you seen teachers uh, be amazing take care of themselves take care of their students you know what what you know you work with so many schools and so many teachers and have so many connections I'm sure folks are just like writing you in response to a lot of the stuff you put out so what have you heard that sticks in your mind particularly about taking care of self and, and and students in this in this really difficult strange year yeah you know I don't have any stories in you know in particular I, I just would say um the, the the teachers that i think seem to be thriving the most are the ones who have a supportive staff that they're working with have a supportive network have a, a supportive administration leadership and then and then on top of that i think it really is the internal side really is giving yourself the permission uh, to do less. Um, you know, one of, one of the things I did working with a group of teachers is I, I said, I make a T chart of all of the permissions that you've given all the grace that you've shown to students this year on the left-hand side. And then on the right-hand side, they had to do the same thing with themselves. And there were empty right-hand sides, right? I mean, there were, a lot of people saying, I'm, I'm, I'm allowing my students to make mistakes and everything. And then I'm, I'm taking things to the top level at all times this year. And it was like, well, wait a second, show yourself the same permission and kindness and compassion that you show toward, towards students. And again, I do want to recognize like what you said, Jordan is so true. There has to be a supportive environment for that. Right. But when that's there, I do think, um, giving yourself the permission uh, makes a huge difference. Um, you know, I think about one teacher that um, I taught with and, um, you know, she reached out to me and said, I, I don't know if I can do this at the beginning of the year. You know, she's one of the greatest teachers I, I know. And she said, I, I, I'm seeing black screens every day. I don't know when we're going to go hybrid, if it's going to happen at all. I, I I can't read the room. There is no room to read. Like, what do I, you know? Mm-hmm. And she just was 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 really uh, struggling with it. 
And I think it was that recognition of you feel like a new teacher all over again, and that's okay to be in that stage, right? Now I compare that to later, and she's you know doing really cool whiteboard annotations on mm-hmm. on Jamboard, and they're, she's using this and doing that and trying this, and and they're doing flip Flipgrid, and they're coming up with their own videos, and um, and now they're they're hybrid. But I've watched her grow, and what what I wish, you know, self care wise, what I wish she could have realized earlier was. Um, if she could know ahead of time where she would be now, she might have felt different during that phase of almost burnout, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that it's important to recognize in, in the zone of wellness that um, teachers who are finally getting to that place where they're going, things are okay, it's settled down, I'm getting used to it. Now there's this like residual... Um, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but I see with a lot of teachers this feeling of like I, I it's sort of the secondary trauma with yeah. the with the the feeling of everything, the elections, the stress, the I mean like all of those things. There is this tiredness that teachers are feeling right now. Yes. And it's disorienting when you are in your practice probably thriving more now than, than you were at the beginning of the year. Mm. But where you are is just this this fatigue settling in for a lot of teachers. Gosh, and you articulate so well, John, what we have seen firsthand. I mean, we teachers, uh, they do come to Julie and I in our roles, and a lot of times this year it is just they need a listening year, and I've heard over and over again this, this questioning. You know, teachers, this is a profession where people really feel called. It's mm. not a job. I mean, it's a calling. And when you go into something with so much passion – and you start questioning, am I cut out for this? It's deeper mm-hmm. than just, did I go down the right career path? It's, mm-hmm. it's questioning your calling for a lot of them. Um, but I love what you said about if they could see. There, there are teachers that have come to us with that. And then I'm often, from my perspective, saying, wait, I was just in your classroom. And there was this amazing new thing you tried. You shifted the way you taught this. And students responded. And everything you're doing right now is blessing our students in so many ways and our families. But, um, I, yeah, it's been a tough year. It's been a really tough year. Yeah, who has the time for that kind of reflection? Right. You're, and you're it's learning yeah. all these new skills and putting them into practice immediately. And ideally there's that third level of, like, let me think about it. Let me like, stop and think. It's just the yeah. go. It is. It's go, go, go all the time. Well, yeah, I think, go ahead, John. Well, I, I was just going to say something about that. Um, I think one of the one of the realities, as we as we think about this experience, is you know, in, in a lot of ways, teaching it, it, it can be a little bit like I've kind of thought about it like um, if you were doing weight training or or running or something like that, where you know that this year has developed new muscles, it's allowed you to grow. Um, there's been some pain and I, I do think the tough thing in the end is to what extent will I need rest versus yeah. versus healing mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, w- did this stretch me so much that there's a little bit of injury and, and it takes some healing next year or yeah. did this stretch me and I'm gonna grow and I'm gonna be stronger and I think we need to have permission um, to you know like 
Julie bringing up the, the, the systemic support, I think we need to provide that systemic support and cultural support to know that, that as we shift into a new year next year, it's not gonna be the same for all teachers. Like some are gonna need healing. Some are just gonna be excited to get going again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some are gonna need some rest. Some are gonna just need to be restored and, and they're not all gonna be in the same place. And we need to have permission for that to be okay, right? Right. Yeah. And then just thinking about the flip side of that, it's everything we're saying about us goes for our students and their students parents too. too. That's, that's, right. that's something that's really, I think, tough to see is like this urgent need for the return to this perceived normalcy. And yeah. I know so many of my parents are worried that their kids have just lost a year. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And just kind of trying to communicate to them like, yeah. We're gonna, this is this is this is all doable. <laughs> well, and that it's not all loss, right? Yeah. And and it's hard to say in a moment of trauma because yes, so much has been lost, but and other family skills. members have been lost, and I mean, not to, but but at the same time, right? All of these new things that teachers have been trying, students have been trying alongside them, and building and doing and I think we've all learned that like in some ways our content can cut in half and the world doesn't end <laughs> and students can show their learning through things like Flipgrid right and so in in many ways yeah. a lot of sort of the learning philosophies John that you've been promoting forever I think have been taken up more than ever because all of a sudden it's like well all bets are off I mean like school isn't what at all we imagined it would be so we might as well try this radical like I can, you know at our school we didn't have final exams in January and that was unheard of that our upper school wouldn't have final exams um, and it turned out that you know nothing fell apart and in fact um, some really cool new projects were imagined and so anyway yeah I mean I think we want to ask a little bit about uh, some of this and, and your project-based sorts of things in this moment as well yeah yeah I have two questions I thought about shifting gears but okay I'm gonna stay in order with our I want to ask you it we're gonna shift gears just a little bit to launch but it relates back to COVID I, I really want to hear first of all launch love that book so applicable for teachers especially those who are inspired to try project-based learning in their classroom and inquiry-based teaching strategies um, I'm wondering in this time after this year how you may have shifted or how has this year confirmed or helped you in the way you think about launch differently, or has it? Oh yeah, I think I think so much of the way I had thought about design thinking in the launch process was shaped around being there in person. I mean, I definitely think that that was a key component. Um, that being said, you know, one 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 of my I guess my first experience doing any kind of um, teaching virtually was um, a STEM camp that we ran um, long distance and we not we didn't plan to go remote for it. Um, the air conditioning unit oh. went out and you can't <laughs> have oh, 10 degrees in Phoenix. So we had to oh, just completely modify. Um, but I think at the time I was really focused on kind of a deficit mindset around mm -hmm. The technology, mm -hmm. I was like, well, what can we still do, right? Mm -hmm. What can, rather than what I grew into as I began to do more um, teaching remotely, which was, how can we transform what we're doing with the technology? What new things are available? So when I think about launch, I think a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, each phase of the process 
how do we make the most of that process in a way that can be, you know, if it's distant learning um, or, or hybrid, um, that makes use of those synchronous and asynchronous tools, right? That being said, as we reimagine it, well, there's a lot of things that are actually going to be easier now, right? So interviewing experts, Look at this. we have to send instructions yeah. on how to use like Google Meets or Zoom so or whatever might, we were we using. We might need instructions. Now John. everyone has experience <laughs> with this, right? They're, like interviewing an expert is so much easier now. So, yeah. you know, asking questions. I have a, a, a process that I use for having students ask questions and then analyze their questions to see what are, are valid research questions. That can be done really well in a breakout room mm -hmm. on a spreadsheet and beginning with a Google form. So it can go asynchronous, then to synchronous, breakout room, discuss. And so I think a lot of the launch process can be adapted really well to distance learning. And, you know, um, I think the biggest challenge in, to in-person instruction is the bell schedule, right? The, mm -hmm. the tight deadlines and everything. But the one thing I'll say is the, the upside of, of distance is um, if you're willing to be flexible, there's a lot of potential for going project-based, mm -hmm. using design thinking in a way that's flexible and allows for more time in this area, more time in that area. I, I, I find that differentiation is way easier yes. now than yes. it's been before. Um, and so I do think certain things are still a challenge. Prototyping can be kind of tough sometimes, but um, I think reimagining how launch works for distance learning has been a lot of fun. And it's been great to see what teachers are, are doing with it. That's great. Well, briefly, and I know we, we are getting close 15 more minutes, um, but briefly, I wonder if you have any thoughts for schools, and, and this podcast was made for teachers certainly at our school, but also just schools uh, in Mississippi and beyond, schools that are sort of a little bit more traditional in their approaches that want mm -hmm. to start to lean in uh, toward more design thinking and inquiry-based mm -hmm. and student-centered kinds of approaches. How do you suggest that folks start um, in their classrooms? Yeah, so I, I really think it, I, I guess one way to start would be to begin with just adding some student voice and choice to traditional lessons, right? So yeah. letting them compare and contrast strategies in math, letting them self-select, having a choice board, um, you know, letting them choose a topic for a research project, little, little Incremental things like that can make a huge difference. Um, and then the other thing that I'll say is, you know, I, I really believe in in many projects. Um, so I have like the Wonder Day project. It can be done in you know, really a single day or two two to three class periods. Um, I, I kind of have two different variations: a, a a single day version and a full week version. And test it out. If you're in a really traditional environment, do it on that day that you also do a field trip and kids come back rowdy, you know, do it on the day that there's two assemblies and a fire drill, do it, you know, so you know nice. those days, do it in a low risk day, try it out and see how it goes for you. Um, you know, do something like a really small design challenge, a, a, a maker challenge and, and do sort of a design thinking sprint. And I think beginning with something really small, seeing how it works, letting, um, students debrief with you on, on how you could do it better. I think those are 
kind of the, the best first steps. Um, if we if we try to overhaul and, and say like, oh, I'm going fully project based, yeah. it just becomes too much, it becomes, you know, overwhelming. Um, one thing I will say is, you know, in a lot of places, this would be the year to try something like that, right. even if it's the mini project, right? A lot of teachers tests are non-consequential this year, or um, they've been told we're going to look for more experimentation and permission to make mistakes on teacher evaluations. Right. So, you know, try it this year, see how it works. And then when we go back to normal, redefine what that normal will look like. Mm -hmm. yeah. When I was in Portland, I worked at, again, a very vintage style school. It was tiny on purpose. It was next to a nursery. Uh, the most advanced, advanced piece of technology we had was a... Um, overhead projector, but everything was so intentional. It just really reminded me of that. And obviously, we've seen an explosion of learning management tools and uh, virtual meeting tools and everything. But I'm wondering, what do you think is going to come back? Like, what do you think people are going to be reaching back for that's also really important? I'm just so curious to see, like, what's something that is it, it's going to be clear, oh, I was missing you the whole time during coronavirus. And now <laughs> that, now that you know, the waves have parted, there you were waiting for me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, 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 my hope is that we really value the deeper meaning of face-to-face -face time. Yeah. Like, I really hope that when teachers come back, they say, "We are going to do a Socratic seminar and yes. and and really embrace that and see how it goes." Or, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of gardens, right? I'm. Mean, this is a Pacific Northwest. Like, you can't live in Oregon and not have a garden, right? Like, I want to see gardens. You know, no. as much as maker spaces, I want to yeah. see cardboard prototyping. Yes. I want to see things like that. You know, um, we we used to do a tiny house project, and all of our materials were like mm -hmm. upcycled. You know, and I, I want to see stuff like that. And I I do think there's a lot of value. Um, and then mashing those up with yeah, I mean, share your process of how you made it with. A, a cell phone video like go for it you know there's nothing wrong with that or let's do a scavenger hunt and be out and but then also take our devices to document parts of it you know there's um it, there's there's that side that i think would be um I, I would love to see that mashup happen and that's i just want to say quickly um this your work on vintage innovation came at a really good time for Shay and I in our jobs because we um, took on new positions last year with the word innovation in them and innovation is a word I hate and love right in different ways but it comes with so much baggage and so at that very same moment you happen to start writing about vintage innovation which in so many ways um, kind of summed up what we were trying to get at about what our job was about and the mashup that it wasn't about technology <laughs> yeah. right it's about a mashup of tools right and yeah. deliberation and thoughtfulness and we even had a whole school vintage innovation exhibition but we put oh, vintage wow. in parentheses because we didn't want to like steal your cred right and we <laughs> we definitely like showed like your short video to like the whole faculty and and we had and, and it was amazing because it was all faculty demos and we had pre-k teachers showing us how 
they did these immersive simulations with everyone rolling on the floor pretending to be on the moon. And at the same time, we had someone do a wheel of apps where they were trying out a million different, it was just, it was, I mean, you would have loved it. It was just this beautiful right. mashup of various really active things in which we were demoing uh, that vintage. Yeah, I love how you, you call it the, the mashup of the tried and true with the never tried. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, the, the idea of vintage innovation, big fans of that. And I'm curious, John, too, as we sort of take a breath and reflect on COVID and as we sort of come out of the fog of that, hopefully soon, is there a tool or something that you think specifically we should leave behind with COVID? Something that you've seen that we, we can let go? Oh, from 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 COVID, like from, the, the technology, like, or yeah, something teaching and learning wise. Oh yeah, our teachers would have lots of thoughts on this, like a specific. They, tool. they have a lot of things they <laughs> never yeah. want to see again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, never. yeah. You know, I don't know. This is really tough. I, yeah, I, I think, I think, I think my my hope is. There are there are certainly some I guess there are some tools. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not I mean I'll just be honest with you I'm not a massive um, fan of learning management you know, systems. I, I yeah. think they tend to push more <laughs> traditional, and if you want to go more authentic, yeah. you're like trying to fit, you know, yeah. something into something that doesn't fit well. That so wasn't created for it. Maybe that I mean maybe I'd, I'd I'd like to see pared down versions of learning management systems or or, or, or redefining how they work. Yeah. Um, I think my hope is really that when we come back, we say, what were the things that we did differently mm -hmm. that when we go back to normal won't be you know, like I would love to see teachers mm -hmm. say, I'm I'm gonna let students retake exams. I'm gonna let them resubmit work. I'm gonna let them do some of these different things that we that we did before. Um, I think that would be a cool a cool thing. Yeah, I sure hope so. And I think it's gonna happen. I do. We've had so many faculty say I never would have I had a faculty member, yeah. no one would have guessed um, come in my office this today just going on and on about an, a new assignment that he created just because of COVID, right? Just because mm -hmm. he just moved online. And, and I'll tell you what it did. It flipped the identities of students in his class where mm -hmm. one student that typically was seen as not, you know, the highest achiever rose to the surface and did something amazing. And, and I love it when we do assignments like that. And often it is these student-centered kinds of assignments where that, that mm -hmm. flip in identities um, happens. Anyway, I just, I have a great blog to write up soon. About oh, nice. It's coming. It. Stay tuned. It. I'm yeah. curious, Shay. You asked me that question. What? What? What is something that? How would you answer your own question there? Ooh, putting it back yeah. on me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was about to say. I don't want to maybe name a product, but there has been one in particular that have. It's. I've seen it give our teachers a headache. Um, and Google Forms would be one. All the little technicalities. And then there's another. There's a software that we have here that. I was just Are meeting. No, it <laughs> not to be named. Not to be named. Not to be not named. named. Um, very smart teachers <laughs> create lessons 
they, they pour into them and then they come in in the morning and there's just some glitches that happen with the software and it's, and it's clunky. It's clunky. It's clunky. I could see yeah. it go with COVID, the software. I think it will go. I think it will go. <laughs> I think it will go. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But I'm with you, John, the way you worded that of what weren't we doing before that we'll bring with us. Um, and so that was yeah. an interesting perspective. Julie, do you have any specifics that I you mean, would like to gonna, see? I was, thinking, I was thinking of the smart as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love, listen, I don't want to be hating on some Google Forms because I love me a Google Once Form. Once you know all I, the ins and outs of the details, it's I, great. I, I mean, I but just, you've got to. It's just, um, yes, I'm a, I always want answers. I had a teacher. Tell me what you think. There's some user error on my enforcement. Well, oh, no. but, I mean, you know, little things like why don't they have the autosave, like the Google Docs oh, yet? Yes. Those... Or when you use them in Google Classroom, <laughs> it's a weird, okay, okay. Yeah. We can go on. We can go on. You know, grading, assessing a Google Form in Google Classroom. Okay, two questions. And these are the fun questions that we ask every guest. You are our second guest, by the way, in a series of six. Um, but Toby, you go first. Sure. Yeah. Um, so my favorite teacher ever, every time I saw her, gave me a new book. And so I'm wondering if you could pick a book that you knew people would read after you gave it to them, what would that book be? So you, they and and, uh, and you think it would. Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. But especially like it would make them be better teachers or people or thinkers or whatever. Like, what would you give someone? You're like, you got to read this. It's going to change the way you do stuff. Yeah. Well, I would say this. I love, so I'll stick to education books. I mean, I love like nonfiction books. Like right now I'm loving this book, uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. Mm, Adam Grant. Oh, it's good. Uh It's really good. Um, It's not about teaching. Um, for teaching, what I would, would say is I'm a huge fan of this book, uh, The Playful Classroom. It is great. Um, Julie Jones, Jeff Derryberry, it's a great book. And then the other one is uh, Making Thinking Visible. Mm-hmm. I just love it. We were just talking about that. I was just, I was just, uh, those, yeah. are my, those are my two right now that I, I recommend all the time. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like I keep saying, we're putting together a library. We're making the uh, right. iTunes podcast library. I love that. Yes. Um, Toby, this is really not about me, but you asked me this and I froze. I thought about it. It's clearly, it's Nancy Atwell's In the Middle, who is all a writing workshop, reading workshop person. Oh, and that that rocked my world when I was an undergrad. It's an old book. Cool. It's an old book. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's made fun of a lot by people because it's very utopian, but it's great. Okay. My little final question of the day. Are you ready? Yeah, John Spencer, ready. who was your favorite K-12 teacher and why? Oh, it was definitely, I had this teacher, um, Mrs. Smoot, um, Carol Smoot. She's, we're Facebook friends now. It's so much, so fun. Um, She was the one who got me into the National History Day project, inspired my love of history. First time I ever did any kind of project-based learning, inquiry-based learning. I think she would have called it inquiry-based, but um, oh my gosh, I love that experience. And it, it, she's why I became a teacher. it, I, I've written about her before, you know, so I, I won't go too much into it, but she was a fantastic teacher. Um, and uh, a, along with her was Mr. Darrow, who was the, the, the teacher who co-taught with her. And he was a phenomenal teacher and, and helped shape my thinking in so many different ways. So they were great. Cool. That is awesome. Co-teaching, man. That's the way every classroom should be. Um, well, we, I mean, we know you are out of time, but 
any final thing that we didn't ask that you want to like say forth um, or put out into the world? Uh, you have lots of venues to do that, but uh, we wanted to give you one last opportunity. Uh, any last words of wisdom or just, you know, whatever. No, I just thank you so much um, for, for this time. My final thing would just be, I really want to encourage teachers to you know, not be afraid to take the, the, the end of this school year and really experiment, try something new, yeah. make mistakes, grow, um, and just redefine what, what learning looks like um, as we move into next year. John, we kid you not, our tagline for the end of this podcast is currently, this is a working tagline, now go out there and try some stuff. <laughs> that is literally what we say at the end of every podcast. And I want to ask, failing forward, I mean, in that, in that yeah. spirit too, try some stuff, failing forward. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time, John. This was, this was great. We know you're extremely busy, and we're very thankful that you took a piece of your day to spend with us. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank thank you. you. Thank you so much. This has been great. I really appreciate it. Hey, all you K-12 teachers out there. Thanks for all you do. Now get out there and try some stuff.